Hi, this is Corey McRae, the senator for the 45th Legislative District, and you're listening to the Condoy Street Podcast, my go-to source for the latest news and insight on state and local government in Maryland. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here back in the saddle on Conduit Street with Michael Sanderson. Michael, I walked in here today and it looks like a bomb went off. There <laughs> there are various boxes and paraphernalia all throughout our building. It looks like summer conference is upon us. Right. No, it's really it's it's happening, right? That's where we are, I think. Um just after after not having a live event last summer, um it I kind of forgot what the second week of August is like for Team Mako. And so you're right. This office looks like there's just file folders everywhere. There's papers. There's badges. You know, the printers are running nonstop. Everybody's running around like headless chickens. It's a, it's, it's a good to be kind of like back into this flow. It's hard work, but I, I'm, I'm glad we're doing it. Yeah. And I think you'll, you'll be reminded of what it's like when we have to load up that van right. that goes down to Ocean City <laughs> yeah. with all this stuff. Haul so everything down and all of our cars. It's like a whole caravan heading that way. So yeah, we'll, we'll be doing it. It's exciting. But today, Michael, as we are recording here on Thursday, the 12th, of August, the U.S. Census is dropping some data, and we want to go through and unpack pretty much what all of that means and what it means for the state and for county governments and for the nation. As we know, redistricting is coming, and the census data is used to allocate billions of dollars in federal aid. So it's important, and it's something that we've covered on here pretty extensively. Yeah, I I think this is worth tying, because this sort of ties together some threads that have our, our loyal listeners, the teeming millions out there. Um, the loyal listeners know we've been really engaged in the census. That was a big county responsibility with complete count committees at every level. We've had the secretary of planning on multiple times talking about the census and the data and so forth. So, so today is going to be a big data day and we'll see, we'll see newspapers tomorrow and all sorts of, you know, the, the, the commentary class will be talking about, well, here's what I thought was interesting and here's what might happen to the U.S. Congress or isn't this interesting, these population shifts in this way or that way. All that stuff is interesting for us and for the Conduit Street Lane, though, I think what we need to walk through is governments have some legal responsibilities to shift gears every time there's new census data. So today is sort of like the starter's pistol. I'm sorry, I'm still I'm still kind of in um, Olympic mode. Yes, so yes. today is like, you know, go. Okay? So this is we're out of the out of the blocks today with the first set of data and let's go through there's some piece by piece here of what's going to happen in Maryland now that we've got at least the beginnings, not the final, but the beginnings of a lot of this interesting data. The legacy data, as the Census Bureau calls it. But let's take one step back, Michael, and, and let me rewind. 
let's talk about just the process here and, and what exactly this means. So first of all, Michael, the census, it's laid out in the U.S. Constitution. It occurs every 10 years. It's an official count of basically the population of the United States. Mm-hmm. It breaks down various demographic indicators, etc. Maryland made a really, really high effort to make sure that everybody was counted. We ended up in the top tier. Secretary McCord was on the podcast from the Maryland Department of Planning. He talked all about that. And just one side note, I think that making sure people get counted, finding those trusted community partners and getting Mm -hmm. to them and having them reach out. It's the same thing with like the vaccine, right? I mean, we talked about that. So a little bit of a a preview there in terms of using some of those lessons learned, I think, from the census effort now to COVID. But we did end up doing really well, Michael. And that turned out to be especially important because COVID limited the ability for folks to get out in the spring of 20. Right. So, I mean, the 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 10-year census process is always in two steps. And the first step is you reach out by mail and every means possible to try and reach all the residents and say, okay, we want you to fill out this information, you know, get it back to us in any different way. And remember, this was, this was a year where suddenly you can fill it out online. You can right. do it on your phone. There's, you know, trying to make things as convenient and simple as possible, but please voluntarily fill out the form and get it back. So step one is the voluntary process. Step two traditionally is the census hires really like a miniature army of people for short-term duty to go out in the spring of the year that ends in zero in 1980, 90, 2010, 2020 was supposed to be the year where in, you know, March, April, May, there would be people going building to building, house to house, block to block, trying to say, okay, we heard from this house, but this address we never heard from. Let's see if anyone's home and we can do this right at the doorway, right? So you you fill in the gaps of the voluntary report by going door to door. Well, April and May of 2020 was not a great time to be in the going door to door business. Right, right, right. So it turned out to be, in retrospect, super important for states like Maryland to get ahead of this, get a really strong turnout in the voluntary so we had fewer gaps to fill in when it got really hard in 2020. Right. So we know there were complications. We know that the data that is being released today, at least the preliminary data, was delayed, and that does complicate things, and we'll talk about that. But I think what we really want to focus on today, Michael, is what has to happen between now and the 2022 elections, which are right around the corner. And that's a lot of reason why people are panicking a bit. Let's say you're running for county office. Some of these folks are saying, I don't even know what my district is going to be. So it's complicated for me because I need to know which doors to knock and et cetera. So a lot of people are focusing on this and we need to talk about redistricting, right, Michael? That, right. That's the big buzzword. Yeah. Redistricting is the, is the term of art that everybody uses. Honestly, I feel like that word took over a spot that it used to be called reapportionment. And that was maybe a more mathematically precise term of a portion is dividing into equalish pieces and so forth. I mean, the whole idea is most levels of government that have some sort of a legislative body, whether it's a city council or a county council or in many cases, county commissioners or even like the U.S. House of Representatives, you you have representation by geography, by the use of districts. And so 
basically the reason we're in the middle of this as a matter of political philosophy is now we have new official information about where people live. So it's time to realign the way we've drawn the maps so that so that people have as close to equal representation as we could maintain through the political system. So that's like that's that that's the banner you unfurl here and say it's time to draw new districts because people don't live in the same places they did 10 years ago. So we're going to do you we used to call it reapportionment, now we call it redistricting and everybody's on that term. So I'll I'll, I'll knuckle under. It's one of those things that, you know, it's hard. And the and the, the key thing there is though that District drawing must create equal representation, right, Michael? And this goes back to Baker v. Carr in the 60s, the Warren Court. And and so that's the key. States already know about any changes in the number of districts they'll have, right? So congressional districts, Maryland's going to stay at eight. We already know that. Now it just comes down to looking at the data and redrawing those districts in a way that holds up, it passes muster. But you know, every state has a different way of doing this. People, they use software, they use, uh, you know, commissions, yeah. which we'll talk about. But but that's the end goal is to really make sure that you have equal representation divided amongst these districts, right? All right. So that's, that's sort of your first pillar here as we're trying to talk through what do you need to do. The, the first pillar is basically closing in on 60 years old, that series of court cases through the Warren Court. Um, in the 1960s that basically said, I'm trying to remember the cases specifically, neither you nor I are lawyers, right. but I, I, my recollection is that there were a series of cases that basically said, first of all, this is an equal protection issue. Mm-hmm. So it's a 14th Amendment argument under the U.S. Constitution that – if if you if you mess people around with the district that rep, that their representation in Congress provides, then you may be denying them equal protection under the Fourteenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That's a that's a big deal bedrock principle concept. And so once you open the door to saying there's an equal protection argument, then what happened is and I think there was this was later cases sort of fleshed this out further, saying the districts should be at as close as possible to equally sized within each state. Right. So, so that is like, that's your first touchstone. If you're a policymaker in Maryland and the, the who and how are going to be the next things we talk about. But a principle there is these districts need to be equal size. You can't just say, well, we like this part of the state. It has its own cultural identity, Eastern shore. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just say this part of Maryland is going to be its own district because of history or or tradition it's got to be equal numbers and sometimes that ends up with okay we need more than just this piece or that piece we need to turn this into an equal size district right and of course i mean the elephant in the room is that there is a lot of discussion about how this process can be political even partisan the supreme court michael a few years ago had a shot at weighing in here they stayed out of it they said this is not us and that this inherently is probably partisan but every state has a different way like we said of doing it and as long as you you meet that first pillar which you just described it seems like there is some leeway in terms of how states do this i mean just to to interject there i mean we're 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 not going to spend an hour trying to break down all the legal arguments but i think a couple are kind of important remember this was a case about sort of the state of Wisconsin and I think North Carolina right. and Maryland were all in this conversation where the Supreme Court was asked 
if a state appears to have drawn congressional districts in a way to favor candidates of one party over another, is that potentially you know, something that, that the U.S. courts could throw out as unconstitutional? Is that a denial of equal protection? And right. the Supreme Court doesn't have to say we love it. They didn't have to say we love the Wisconsin map. Instead, their job was to say, is this fundamental? Is your right to be represented by somebody of the party you like as fundamental as your right to be represented in equal proportion to other people in your states? And they said, no, the protection doesn't extend that far. So a person in this party does not have an entitlement to have a district drawn that will likely yield a person from her party. That's a different argument from this district has a half a million, that that district has a full million, and we'll just put them side by side. That's unfair. That's unconstitutional. But the way you sort out the reds and blues and everybody else, not a constitutional matter. It's a political matter. Right. So that's the key there. The Supreme Court said this was a political matter. They weren't going to get involved. So now, Michael, back to where we are. Maryland needs to, to redraw the maps. Based on where people live now, we have to draw eight districts, and we have a reasonable period of time to do so. However, Michael, the filing deadline is February 22nd for the 2022 elections, so let's work backwards from that date here and kind of lay out what has to happen now. So we know that we talked about the data today that's being released by the U.S. Census will not be the final data, Michael, and we heard that from Secretary McCord. So so what is the next step here? We're looking at the end, I think, of September, right, is when we're going to have sort of the more user-friendly version. What the census is releasing today is essentially just a bunch of numbers. At the end of September, I think we'll have more data in terms of nice graphs and you'll be able to visualize it. But right now we just have like these raw data files. So what are we going to do between now and when we get the, the next release from the census? So I'm sure that there is a there's a there's a contingent of number cruncher types out there and they're on the internet and they'll have websites and they'll have twitter accounts and facebook pages and so forth where they'll do their own analyses and that sort of thing we, we've got we've got preliminary data to start building new districts so it's not final for a state like maryland we've got to do some specific adjustments before you can make your final district drawing. But at, at the moment, um, you've got this process. The gears are starting. Today is like the, the reason I declare, I, I sort of describe this as like the starter's pistol at a race is this is the first drop of data from the census to everybody out there who's in place. So whether you're on the, the district drawing commission in Allegheny County, Maryland, or whether you're a member of the commission appointed and seated by the governor or another one seated by the general assembly, there's also sorts of different people who are waiting for this. This is the beginning of now we've got stuff to work with to start building. Okay, this is what we need to do. This is where growth has changed and that, that sort of stuff. I mean, we can say it's the yeah. beginning, right? But this has sort of been underway for a while. If you're in a county and you know where you've had growth, you can sort of make some guesses so that you're not way, way behind. And now when you get this data, hopefully it affirms right. what you already thought. But but so, yes, technically today, but, but there have been people looking at this for a while and trying to figure right. out, get ahead of the game, if you will, mm -hmm. in terms of where we're going to be when this data drops, right? So 
the work is underway. The data will help to speed things up. It will affirm what people already think, hopefully. So we'll be ready to finalize now when we get that final date at the end of September. But Michael, I think what most people are wondering and maybe are confused about is who is doing the district drawing in Maryland? Like, where does right. that responsibility ultimately fall? Right. So so for for a Maryland audience, let's let's start with the easiest piece of this to understand, and that's the drawing of districts for Maryland's representation in the House of Representatives, the, that, that branch of the U.S. Congress. So these are our federal representatives. We have eight districts. Uh, we know I, it's been, I don't know, maybe a month or two since we heard which states were going to gain seats and which states were going to lose seats. Right. So there are some, you know, some places where they either have had a decline in population or haven't grown as much as the rest of the country. Some of those places have a decline in their number of seats. Other places are growing. Mm-hmm. Maryland staying put at eight. So we've had growth that's more or less the same as, as the country. That's mm-hmm. not surprising. So we have eight districts now. We're going to need to draw eight new districts. And it, it almost certainly can't be as simple as just let's keep the districts that worked 10 years ago because you have these legal mandates to make sure that representation is fair with a population that surely has shifted. There have been, you know, we've gone through military base realignment. There's all sorts of different growth trends and that sort of thing. So surely there are parts of the state that have grown more rapidly than others over the last 10 years. The census tells us how we need to respond to those changes. So it can be minor tweaks. It can be big changes, but it's going to come through a couple different processes. And what's been weird is the media coverage has talked about two separate processes. And I think that can be confusing for people trying to follow this stuff. Right. So like you said, if we're talking about congressional district drawing, right now we have two commissions and we've seen some press coverage call them dueling commissions, <laughs> right? right? This this big hype in terms of they're going to duel and they're going to both have their own recommendations. But Michael, practically... I mean, under Maryland law, there isn't even a specific role for the governor in congressional district drawing. It's just the Maryland General Assembly that has to pass a plan. Right. So so this is a peculiar circumstance, but this is, I mean, this is the Maryland Constitution and Maryland laws on how this process works. So, So this is effectively a legislative process. And we know that our current governor ha- is is interested in this topic, and, and has been for a while, right? So, so that's not a surprise. Um, and like Governor Hogan has put in legislation suggesting that Maryland should change its laws and create a different process, and we should join a list of other states that have gone to whatever, you know, third party process, sort of an independent commission or have judges or, you know, there, there's variations on the theme in other states, but he'd like to see a more independent commission do this sort of, sort of work. Mm-hmm. Um, as it stands today, Maryland law, particularly the Maryland constitution leaves this with the general assembly. So this is basically a legislative process. It's basically just like another bill. Okay, so when it when it comes to congressional district drawing, I guess we can agree now. There aren't dueling commissions, so to speak, right? The one that's set up by the General Assembly is the one that we need to be watching. Both commissions will have drafts, they'll have ideas, but in the end, 
we should expect that a legislative process will look toward its own commission. I mean, would you agree generally with that sentiment? I think that's I think that's probably right. Now, between here and there, whenever, you know, probably the month of December or so forth, this is going to get ripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, sometime between now and then, we should imagine that the governor's commission and the general assembly's commission will go through the process that a public sort of body does, right? And maybe they'll, they'll release like, here are different drafts we're considering or at, at a listening tour around the state with the governor's commission, they may have said, you know, we're, we're, here are the things we're thinking about as we look at, say, right. the Western Maryland. Maryland region. We're thinking about different ways that that um, district could look. We want all of the farther parts of Western Maryland in one district, but to get to about three quarters of a million overall residents, you need to draw that further west, or excuse me, further east, east right. um, or further south, or some combination of the two. So those are the kind of questions that you could imagine. Here's a draft, or we're, we're asking for input on these kinds of questions. And all of that I think the work of both commissions will feed into the ultimate work product, but I think, I think it's very reasonable to think that the, the body created by the General Assembly is going to be the one lighting the path for the General Assembly's final action. Okay. So again, we're talking about congressional district drawing here, Michael. You mentioned December. So as we look ahead here to what has to happen, the word on the street is, and I think you've said this before on the podcast, that we're looking at an early December special session. It's supposed to just be on this topic, Michael, just get it done and get out. So in your mind, that lends itself to say, oh, they're just going to come in for one day, no problem, we'll just get this done, and then they'll head out of town. But it might be a little bit more complicated than that. So first of all, we have seen the Maryland General Assembly over over the years. I mean, I've been around a while. We have had literally single topic, one day special session. Everybody the, behaves. The General Assembly convenes and... I mean, you know, and there's a particular reason why they're in Annapolis out of the usual cycle. Mm-hmm. And usually what happens is there's some lead up where a lot of the homework gets done in advance and the legislature is in town for literally a day or two to tackle one topic. They do so and they wrap up and go home. So it, it's not, it's not inconceivable that the General Assembly could do that. I think there's there's some complicating factors here that that make that this might be tougher than meets the eye. Right. So it sounds like this should be one topic, one day. You you did your homework, you get in, right. you get it done. But we know that if you call a special session, number one, members are free to introduce their own bills. Right. Nothing is going to stop someone if they want to introduce a bill. They can do that if they want to. Yeah. I don't think the entitlement to a public hearing is as rigid in a special session as it is in the ordinary 90-day session. Right. That I think the rules of both chambers, if your bill is filed on time and read across on time, you're entitled to a public hearing. I don't think that's the case during a special session. But, but still, it could well, slow can, things you, down. You can still have your item read across mm-hmm. and then you're, you know, you, you can make some noise about it and that sort of thing. So, so that sort of thing can happen. Mm-hmm. A particular element, it seems to me would be even if 
leadership in the General Assembly has a plan. Like maybe they've shopped this informally and they have sort of a, a straw count as to we think this many legislators, you know, this many members of the House of Delegates are ready to vote for the plan, you know, plan number 11 on our giant list of options. Number 11 is the one we're going to go with. And we think the votes are there for number 11. So we're ready to roll. Let's call the special session and, and we'll do that. Even if that's the case, if the governor has allies, maybe there's someone out there who's a fan of map number three, or maybe they want the map that the governor's commission had worked on and has developed. So you could have competing bills, each with their own district drawing maps, which would make this conversation like a little more complicated than just an up or down vote on one plan. Right. I mean, I could see that that does make sense. And then, of course, the other thing, Michael, veto overrides, right? right? There are multiple bills pending that the governor has vetoed. And the General Assembly is supposed to take up those vetoes as the first order of business when they come back to town. Right. So so this is this is a little bit of kind of sticky, you know, Maryland legislative procedure, but it matters here because technically speaking, the General Assembly is duty bound to take up consideration of veto overrides at its next convening following this decision. So this is the, the governor vetoed bills after the General Assembly was done with its legislative session. They haven't had a chance to react to that. In an ordinary year, when there's no extraordinary special session like this, they just come back in January and it's, you know, basically right after you elect the officers, the first substantive topic of consideration is shall the veto stand or, you know, will the, will the body vote to override the veto and pass the bill despite the objections of the executive, right? So that those motions are effectively automatic on the table the next time the General Assembly gavels in, even if that's December, and even if the plan had been to just do it for one topic. And you mentioned it's sticky. I think there are some folks that think maybe there's a way to bypass that, and maybe they're looking at that right now before they call a special session in December. But that gets into the weeds and it's pretty yeah. complicated. So there are, but the, I think the bottom line is this is not as easy as it may may seem. Drawing the congressional lines, coming in for a day, approving the map, and right. then going home. There there could be some complicating factors. Yeah, I I genuinely don't know. Like we've gotten used to people who watch the Maryland legislative process. We're used to some unconventional motions. Uh, you know, parliamentary motions that are kind of peculiar to our state legislature. And one of them is the special order where in, in both chambers of our legislature, a member can stand up and, and basically say, I'd like to table discussion on this topic and instead make it a special order of business at this particular time. So you won't find those words in Robert's Rules of Order written generically, but it is a convention in our state legislature that is an in-order motion that is tantamount to tabling with a specific time to revisit something. Right, right. I don't know if you could take all the veto overrides on December 10th or whatever day they convene and say, let's bundle all these up and just put them off until we gavel in in January. That's crossing, you know, basically say we won't even talk about this stuff until later. Now, if you convened <laughs> regularly in January, because we've seen this before, the first order of business is, yeah. is are the veto overrides, but then you'll hear you special order. Two weeks, like, right. Yeah, you can say let's talk about it Friday or let's talk about it on Valentine's right, Day. Right. Like both of those motions are in order, but they're within a 90-day session. 
it's not clear to me, and there may very well be, you know, people leafing through old musty pages down in the, the basement library at the Legislative Services Building trying to figure out how clear this is. I don't know what the answer is. So, so maybe this is a matter of a legislative procedure, or maybe it's a matter of they actually have to sit and debate for 10 hours. I don't remember how many, how many live vetoes there are, but as I recall, it's at least a handful. Sure. Definitely. Definitely. Right. So, so even if the votes are there, it might take you an hour or two on the floor of each chamber to do each of those bills which might mean you're in for four days and some complicated issues too. I mean, it's not like just some easy stuff, right? So there will be people with some opinions and they'll want to stand up and talk about things. So it could take more time, but the bottom line is Michael, they have to get this done. We think they're going to come in December and, and find a way to agree on a map and, and move forward. But, that is only half the battle, right? Drawing the congressional lines is only half of the battle. The state also needs to redraw its own legislative boundaries. And we're talking about senator and delegate districts here, Michael. And this is a little bit different, but we're back to the dueling commissions. And where does the authority lie here when it comes to the state's own legislative districts? This is not completely different, but the the, the structural track for this consideration is different in one specific way. And that is... The Maryland Constitution has a particular role for the governor in the drawing of districts for the General Assembly. As you, as you might imagine, um, ordinarily with multiple branches of government, you have some sort of separation of powers and so forth. Right. So under the Maryland Constitution, the governor has to have a process that includes public hearings and then it must yield a new district plan for the Maryland General Assembly, and the governor must introduce that on the first day of the session. That's two years after the census. So the 22 session, the first day, a bill needs to be read across that is effectively introduced by the governor or probably the, the, the redistricting commission that was established and formed by the governor under this authority. So the governor has to submit a plan here. And I mean, in your mind, Michael, because of that little quirk, as opposed to the congressional district drawing, that essentially rules out the possibility that the general assembly is going to come here in December and redraw the state legislative districts. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think I think everybody sees it that way. I I'm, I'm reluctant to say everybody, but I think for all intents and purposes, because the Constitution gives or this role to the governor on day one of session, it would be at the very least disingenuous to to basically have that be a totally pro forma process and have the, the vote already taken in December or before then. So you essentially have this matter is an early regular session discussion starts with the introduction of a bill, but the governor has no official role after that. So the governor introduces a bill. And as, as I recall, I think there's a, there's a timer that basically says if the legislature can't decide what to do by the 45th day of the 90 day session, then the governor's plan just goes into effect. But as a practical matter, this is, yet again, a legislative consideration. So the governor has to put in a bill, but there's no obligation for the General Assembly to pass that bill or that bill, but for a few minor changes. The General Assembly can pass its own plan for all intents and purposes. Right. So the governor formally submits a plan. The General Assembly can either pass that plan, they can sit on it, and if they don't do it by a certain time, it just becomes the plan, or they can throw it in the trash and write their own, right? So they really have control here. 
And so it sounds like we're going to have December is not going to be the end of the story. We're going to roll into January, Michael, into the 2022 session, at least to draw the state legislative districts. So, so Michael, I guess it's basically for this one as well, for both the congressional and the state level districts, it's the general assembly that we need to be paying attention to in, in terms of what's actually going to happen. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I think the, the two track process is worth watching at both levels and the actions and the drafts and the discussion with the governor's redistricting commission is worth paying attention to. And they will have, they will have a lot of data. They will have a lot of resident and citizen input and so forth. But I think at the end of the day, the general assembly is the decision maker on both of these plans. And it ultimately will be the work product of their custom crafted commission that that more or less guides their path forward i think i think that's the sensible way to imagine this happening so michael i mean so for the state level districts we you said that within 45 days once the session starts they have to come up with a plan we don't think it's going to take that long right because back to the yeah, filing yeah, deadline yeah, at, yeah you got to look at this calendar and like play the backwards game just i mean why is this important well okay so the, the political philosopher should, would, would want to pause here and say, you want to make sure that not only the voters are being treated fairly through representation and our, you know, our representative democracy and so forth. Right. But you also want to make sure that current, future, potential candidates understand the way districts have been drawn and what opportunities might lie before them if they wanted to seek elected office. So you need to know where the, where the lines are for the congressional districts, but also for, for state Senate and for state delegate districts and the like. And it's that level of information that is awfully important if you're a would-be candidate um, waiting until the first day of session, January 12th, and the filing deadline is February 22nd. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about something like 41 days or thereabout. I mean, like, you know, six weeks maximum. So the window of time to make this work, like the clock is ticking on day one of session to pull this together. I mean, and even if you, so look, if you do it in the beginning of session, even if you do it a few weeks in, you're still at like January 26th, right? Sure. And we know this stuff normally goes to court. And I think the smart bet would be that this map will be challenged as well. And there'll have to be some time for things to move through the courts. So I, I would I would yeah. think you would want to do this as, as yeah. soon as you yeah. can once session kicks off to give you plenty of time to let people know which doors they should knock on, to let the courts do what they need to do in terms of looking at these maps and deciding if they're fair. You want to give yourself some cushion there. So it sounds like this will be one of the first orders of business when the General Assembly comes back in January. Right. And probably you would think, and I would expect, with a fair amount of writing on the wall through the process. Yes. So on on the first day of session, the governor's bill gets introduced, but I would think that at least very soon afterward, you would see, or maybe even beforehand, you would see the practical work product of the General Assembly's commission and if they have a set of maps and they're ready to go, then that would have been communicated already to stakeholders. And like a lot of folks would already kind of know 
okay, this is what we think is the leading candidate and maybe the the presumptive candidate to become the final set of maps. So I don't think this is going to turn into a process like, I don't know, like some of our listeners listeners will be familiar with the Kerwin Commission. The, the commission meets for a, years and goes through lots and lots of process and they do a final report, but then that has to turn into a bill and then the exact details of that bill weren't even clear till the tail end of that legislative session. Then the following year, they have to come back and change the whole thing. Right, right. So I, I don't think this is going to follow that kind of process. Rather probably by day one of session, most most people who have followed this process pretty closely will have a pretty good idea where things are going to land. So I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't think we want to leave the impression that this is going to be bedlam on February 22nd as no one knows what's happening until the very 11th hour. It's probably going to be the writing on the wall in January. I agree. So the bottom line for the state, they have two maps they need to draw. They need to draw the congressional lines. That's going to be done, we think, in December. And then they need to come back and draw the state legislative districts. We think that'll happen at the beginning of session in January 22. So we should have all of this wrapped up. It needs to be wrapped up. But then, Michael, we haven't even gotten to the counties, right? So I I guess without having all the same references, and I don't think I don't think we want to go through sort of, okay, let's go through 24 jurisdictions and what process each one of them is in the middle of. But for the counties that have districts for their own legislative body, and that's the majority, then they've got to go through this parallel process. And it might be in your county charter, or it might be an ordinance that you've passed that says, here's the process we choose. And we appoint a seven member commission and it has people who represent these different groups or whatever. And you split it up by partisan affiliation, whatever. And you do the roadshow, yeah. like right. the state yeah. or the virtual roadshow right. in 2021, right? right. So, so to the extent that the governor has appointed a commission and they've been having these you know, virtual but regional meetings mm-hmm. to talk about different parts of the state and as they contemplate the whole, for the counties who have districts, uh, they've all got their own process and they're in the middle of that. So today's a big date for those local bodies that are in the in the process of district drawing they're getting their preliminary data it'll get finalized late september and they're in the they're in the same boat so, so they'll have time yeah, then to yeah. go back and, and so they're doing the work now they've been doing the work just like you're doing with the state and redrawing but the, the counties also know sort of where growth has happened so they're plugging in numbers and making their best guesses yeah. they're going to get some preliminary data today again at the end of september hopefully and then in october they'll have time to make some adjustments before they need to really finish it up right i think that's a i think that's it and I think it's probably fair that for most counties, the timetable will look pretty similar to the state's timetable for the congressional district drawing, that you can get this done before the end of the calendar year. I've been in a couple of counties where we've had this conversation, and some of them don't even charge their their re- redistricting commission until you know being done until the end of the calendar year. Right. So right. in some cases, it'll be into January, but... In December or into January is where the counties will be doing this same process. And of course, we have to remember you have to build in a cushion for some legal challenges, just like with the state. We may see some of that at the, legal, at the local level, too. Right. So there are all of those unknowns out there. But I guess the, the bottom line here is, Michael, we're going to try to build out a plan for candidates to work under the 22 election cycle. The state and the counties are going to do that. We want people to know as soon as possible, not just like you said, the right. voters, but also the people that represent them. Right. So... 
bundle all that stuff together. And that's why today is a big day. And this data drop is important to an awful lot of people who are in government and politics, not just because of the stuff that you're going to hear about, like starting this afternoon through social media that, oh, you know, what percentage of our country is in this group or in that group? How are things changing? And what does that trend line look like? That's interesting. And I'm going to, like, I'm going to follow that stuff. I'm interested in that. And a lot of our listeners are too. But I think what we wanted to get through today was this stuff is functionally important because, I mean, this is the underpinning of our democracy to have fair and reasonable and appropriate representation through your democratic institutions. Like this is, you know, it's pretty important stuff. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exa- exactly. Like we, we, we like getting on tangents and talking about, you know, the Uber bill or other things like that. And that stuff is cool, but foundations of political concepts, like it starts with people being represented by their leaders. So yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of into that too. So it's probably worth it to, to take a walk down this road and, and highlight all of this, Michael. Anything else you want to add here before we sort of wrap up our redistricting chat? I will say, speaking of cool, at our upcoming summer conference, you, you know all about that. We'll put the details in the show notes. We're going to do a podcast with Tanium. It's a cybersecurity company. We have right. a really good guest that's going to talk about hackers and malware and some real world boots on the ground stuff. I'm really looking forward to that. We should have a packed room for right. it too. And, you know, like ripped from the headlines, yes. right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's the, it, it feels like we're, we're following like law and order, how they always have these scripts that are obviously, you know, alluding to things that are happening in the real world. Well, this isn't one of those hypotheticals. This is very much on the minds of leaders in the public sector and elsewhere. So having them who are trying to stay a step ahead in this space, um, great guest. And I'm looking forward to that. And people should be there. Me too, for sure. All right. So, Michael, anything else before we wrap it up today? I mean, speaking of headlines, like I saw uh, just perusing social media that a a famous lawyer um, just signed up for Cameo. Hmm. And I'm I'm sure you've seen this. It's it's the website where you can go and you can pay some famous person and they'll like they'll sing happy birthday to your grandmother or that sort of thing. And they'll do a quick video. But you can get somebody who was on the cast of The Sopranos or some old TV show or an old sports star or whatever and pay somebody, you know, a hundred bucks and they'll do a quick video for you. It's kind of neat. Brilliant. Brilliant. So this, this spurred with me, I I think Kevin, I think, I think you should parlay your worldwide fame as host of the conduit street podcast. Um, you know, nominated for all these different awards and we've got this big fan club and stuff. I think you need to create a cameo account and be that guy. Uh, I I think uh, that's it. Uh, well, I can tell you the only, the only folks that would be (laughs) requesting cameo appearances from Kevin would be in Guam. And so <laughs> Cameo would be like, what is going on with all this stuff coming out of Guam? So maybe there is uh, some, some, a contingent on Guam that, that would want that, Michael, but I don't think I'm the, I'm the guy. This sounds like more of a Sanderson thing. And, and maybe, you know, I, how much money, I mean, what would you, what would you charge if you did a Cameo? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know. For happy birthday, 25 bucks? 
you know, I, it's, it's probably, it would probably turn into a Dutch auction deal where like I, I'd, I'd flatter myself and I'd start at 25 bucks. And then when I got no takers at that, I'd work my way down to like 58 cents and then all the way down. And then, and then eventually, yeah, there'd be somebody who would say, fine, you know, they don't know any better. (laughs) You have like the, the free content section on websites after (laughs) you get through all the paid stuff. It'd be like, here's Sanderson. Premium. Right. It's like, it's like you get this one for free, but if you want, like, if you want, you know, the, the guy who played so-and-so on different strokes, then, okay, yeah, he's going to cost you, but you get this one for free. So, so, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I would be interested if I could work out a deal with Mako, you know, to protect my name, my image, my likeness. Oh, like, oh, I'm not going to be in the, a, yeah, I'm not going to be in a position. Like college, college sports yeah. stars, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to let Mako swoop in and say, hey, all this, <laughs> yeah, we one, like, we own you. Yeah, no, that's, that can't happen. So, anyway, I TBA, think, yeah. TBA, I think it's maybe a good side hustle for Michael Sanderson, if you can get paid for it. Maybe for Kevin. All right. Maybe for Kevin. All right. But anyway, we'll leave it there for today. That's enough. As always, you can follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, the Conduit Street blog. But until next week, Michael, at the Mako Summer Conference, we will be in Ocean City the next time we record a podcast. Woo-hoo! You'll be packing up the van and getting ready to go. <laughs> this is Kevin Canale signing off for Michael Sanderson, and we will talk to you soon from Ocean City. <laughs>